0: I'm DeWitt Binger. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become soul on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because today's guests are two more of my Introduction to Criminal Justice students, are on their way to successful careers, giving emerging adults a voice. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to some and present to others the cool and confident Mr. Jason Gonzalez and Ms. Kara Kosan. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. One of the good things about Having the podcast as part of the course is I get to check in with you guys to see how things are going. So before we get into segment one, I want to just ask you, Kara, how are you doing?
1: Can't complain. Doing pretty well.
0: All right. What about you, Jason? Doing pretty good. Is this your first online
1: course, Kara? Um, it's not. I took it's been a long time though since I took my first online course. So somewhat okay. new.
0: Okay. Jason. No, this will have to be
2: my third year doing online courses.
0: All right. You guys are pros at this.
1: Any problems with navigating the class, Kara? Not so far. It's kind of just a matter of doing it and you just figure it out as you go. Okay.
0: Jason? No, I find it pretty pretty easy doing. All right. Very good. That's music to my ears that everything is going well. All right. This is the end of the sixth week. And you've had four homework assignments and two tests. You guys are doing very well, according to my grade book. All right. Segment one. Segment one is for the educational occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplish this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your planned major, why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Let's begin with you, Kara.
1: Uh, well, I was born in Decatur, Illinois, but I've been raised in Bloomington for the majority of my life. I am interested in criminal justice, kind of always have had a passion for it. It's a very intricate um, system. There's so much to it, um, and I just wanted to kind of dive deeper into it. As far as a career path, I look to do victim advocacy possibly even juvenile counseling, something along those lines. Definitely something to, to help people.
0: Awesome. All right. Jason?
2: I was born here in Bloomington, Illinois and raised here. Attended Bloomington High School and then transferred to a normal community. My plan for major, I really don't have one right now. I just recently this semester changed to criminal justice. But my career goal would have to be to someday work with the BAU and do um, criminal profiling. That will be who I'm really interested in right now. That's kind of why I enrolled in the class.
0: Awesome. All right. And it's my understanding, do we have a normal community Ironman and a normal West Wildcat? I
1: left that part out. Yeah, normal West.
0: Okay. Wildcat. Okay. All right. And and Jason, you graduated from normal community? Yes, sir. All right, Ironman. Well, I can't say cross-town rivals, but I could say in-town rivals. It reminds me of the yeah. chili. It reminds me of the, the chili bowl. Was at that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm sure you guys partook in that event. I still go out to watch that game, the chili bowl between community and West. It's always a good game, good fun time it as well. Oh yes, I played in it mm-hmm. one year actually. Oh okay, all yeah. right, excellent. All right, you guys are big time college students now. You've made the transition from high school to college, is there any advice or is there one thing that you would want to tell high school seniors or those high schoolers who are desiring to attend college? Is there any advice that you would like to give them? Starting with you, Jason.
2: I guess my only advice would be go with your gut. I know that I myself struggle with that because I didn't know what to do or if I even was smart enough to attend college. And then I finally took a leap of faith. And I mean, I like it and it's pretty sweet. And that that would be one thing, just follow your gut and do what you got to
1: do. I would say figure out your path and stay on it. I went to college right after I graduated, but I'm also trying to finish up at 35. um, So that's a big change. And I would also say it's it's a lot easier to do. Um, when you're younger, I think it's easy to always think that there's more time. You have all this time, um, but you don't. It goes fast. And I guess know your path, stay on it and and don't look back because you're not going that way. So
0: 35. You don't look a day over 18. Oh my goodness. <laughs> all right. Oh awesome. <laughs> you're sweet. Awesome. Okay. Segment two, constitutional rights. The theme of our course textbook is individual rights. Versus public safety. We sometimes are required to give up our individual rights for the safety of the American people, i.e. 9-11 and the insurrection, where the courts are ordering insurrectionists to turn over their emails and phone records. We all have individual rights that the system must respect. That said, what is your favorite constitutional right? Beginning with you, Jason.
2: For me, it would have to be the Fourth Amendment, search and seizure. I feel, well, personally, as a brown male, sometimes we get seen as dangerous or not, or suspicious, I should say. Having that right stops a lot of cops from illegally searching us or, like, singling us out. That's why that, that would have to be
0: my favorite. Awesome, Jason.
1: Care? I actually also chose the Fourth Amendment. Um, I think that, like they say, every man's home is his castle kind of thing. I guess I feel like we should have some kind of peace as Americans and some kind of freedom. I think it leaves room if we didn't have the Fourth Amendment. I think it would leave too much room for abuse of power in a lot of situations. Not that everyone would take advantage, but there would be some who would. Um, I guess I kind of feel like it protects all parties. It keeps situations being created as opposed to there actually being a situation. You know, it keeps the cops from creating scenarios, like I said, just based on maybe preconceived notions or things like that. Um, And it also protects the, the people, obviously.
0: Absolutely. The Fourth Amendment, very important right that we have in the criminal justice system. And you are definitely right on. Kara, Jason, when you talk about protecting us as citizens. And it also can protect law enforcement as well, is how I see it. In Unit Two, you were tested over oversight and law enforcement professionalism and criminal law. You've learned about Terry versus Ohio, Stop and Frisk, Tennessee versus Garner, Use of Force, MAP versus Ohio, the exclusionary rule, and much more. Tennessee versus Garner is one of the more interesting cases where the Supreme Court has held that under the Fourth Amendment, when a law enforcement officer is pursuing a fleeing suspect, the officer may not use deadly force to prevent escape unless the officer has probable cause to believe that the suspect poses a significant threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or others. We know in the George Floyd case there was excessive force as the officer was found guilty of murder. But there has been cases where unarmed African Americans have been shot in the back, i.e. Azell Ford, Walter Scott, Stefan Clark, just to mention a few. My question to you is do you think an officer should ever shoot an unarmed person in the back, beginning with you, care?
1: Never, uh, they're just, it, it, I just don't think it's okay. I think that unfortunately too, a lot of law enforcement, they're not well-trained, they're not trained to react well in highly stressful situations, um, which already just creates, uh, you know, it creates some something bad for the, the criminal fleeing and it creates something bad for them. It just creates a situation that that could potentially be fatal. And I just think if a person doesn't have a weapon, and they're shot in the back, there's no. It's clear that that was not a sound decision made.
2: Jason, I think that no, there should be other ways to deal with the situation. I mean, cops do carry tasers for a reason, or simply, you know, tackling to the ground or something. Obviously, with stem shooting in the back, I think especially nowadays it has been more publicly viewed or recorded with them doing it to African-American people. I just think that cops should be trained a little bit better on how to deescalate certain situations like that or different tactics to take down a suspect. Let it be white, brown, Mexican, whatever they are. They should there should be other ways to
0: deal with it. Awesome, Jason. Excellent. There was an incident that occurred this past week whereby two teenagers got into a fight at a mall in New Jersey. Did you guys see that? Yes, I did. You did? Didn't care? And what happened was the police officers, one of the teenagers was Caucasian and one of the teenagers was black. Uh, The white officers treated the white teenager, just kind of set him down on the couch. But the African-American teen, they wrestled him to the ground, restrained him and handcuffed him. My question to you guys, speaking of training, do you think white police officers have a conscious or unconscious bias against black people beginning with you, Jason? I think they do. I think
2: that a lot of police officers have that view on African-Americans as well as Brown people that somehow were just more dangerous or something like I saw the video. And like you said, they, they, they basically just grabbed the white uh, teenager and put him on the couch while the black teenager was tackled down to the ground with excessive force and two officers to deal with him while he was just not fighting back or resisting arrest. So I do think that they that there is that um, view on cops, on people of color. Okay.
0: Kira?
1: I think this this situation sounds like white privilege at its finest. I mean... And it exists so much. And this was blatantly obvious, which is kind of makes it even more disgusting. Um, But I think that a lot of officers do have us, whether it be conscious or subconscious, they do have their alert is their sense is heightened for some reason to African-Americans or to, you know, brown people or Mexicans or whatever the case may be. And I feel like you have to have that feeling of being threatened for a reason not you you can't just base it on because it's what you think of an entire race. I mean that's kind of clumping everybody together and it's it's not right. It's just wrong.
0: Awesome, Kara. All right, segment three. Being a voice for change as emerging adults going through life who grew up in a predominantly white America. What say you about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter, beginning with you, care?
1: I think, I think, I mean, Black Lives Matter. And until I think we as a nation or community or state understand the movement and the point of the movement, I think we will just, the point will continue to be missed. There's always going to be division. Um, there's always going to be, you know, the, the feeling of rivalry instead of the camaraderie and working together.
0: White supremacy. Does it, does it exist?
1: It does. And I would say, especially in politics, which is unfortunate because that's kind of the top of our, the top of our country, the top of the chain. Um, I know there was someone that was working for the Trump administration. I think he was the campaign manager, but all those emails leaked where he was actually talking about white supremacy concepts. Um, And it was, it was pretty obvious. And I just think it's sad if it's, or if it's at that level, and it exists, it's going to trickle down. I feel like change has to kind of start from the top.
0: Absolutely. All right, Jason.
2: Uh, well, yeah, Black Lives Do Matter. I think that, like Harris said, we have to understand the movement and understand what its point is. And we just got to unite as one. I don't see why we've always had that mindset of dividing races or color. when we're all made the same. We're all human. We're all you know, one big race, if you want to see it like that. And until we are able to realize that and see each other as a, one big family, like brothers, sisters, we won't we won't be able to move on without that. And um, for white supremacy, I think that that is one of the biggest issues and not the biggest issue in America from the beginning to today. Just looking back on history, I mean, the, the KKK rallying down right in front of the White House, the incidents in Charlottesville. Um, just different things that prove that white supremacy does exist, white privilege is real. Even now, seeing it with the Trump administration and the the revolts on January 6th, a lot of them were, you know, seen as, oh yeah, you know, they're patriots, they're okay. They're just you know, exerting their rights. But when it comes down to a Black Lives Matter protest or something like that, they're characterized as thugs, criminals, and seen as bad. But one that was actually violent is seen as okay. Well, the other one is not. I think that's one of the biggest proof of white privilege and white supremacy. And today.
0: Awesome, Jason. Awesome. All right. What I ask all my guests that are on the show is what would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish, beginning with you, Jason?
2: For me, I think I would actually like to see a change in um, our system, especially with immigration. I think that that's one of the biggest issues for the last couple of years, starting with the Trump administration and holding, you know, immigrant children in, in basically cages and stuff like that. I think that it's time for change in the immigration policy and the the process to be able to to be able to be accepted into the country, I think that's one of the biggest things. Cause personally, from my experience and my family's experience, sometimes it's easier to cross the border illegally than to wait two to three years and a couple thousands of dollars or pesos to be able to get your visa even uh, processed, and then at the end of the day, to be told, you know what? No, we're not accepting you. I think that's one of the things that I would like the Biden administration to do and especially help out immigrants living in the USA with some type of citizenship or visa to be able to stay here and work here and be able to vote and have a word in the country that they're helping by working and
0: working the fields and doing everything like that. That's awesome stuff, Jason. Excellent.
1: Kara? Um I would say one big thing would be health care. Um I know that's a big student loans as well, but mainly health care. Um, I think that, you know, other countries like Australia Denmark, there's been other countries that that provide free health care for everyone. Our country has the ability to do it. I don't think that your care should ever depend on the dollar. So I would like to see them promote free free health care for all. Like I said, we we have no control sometimes over uh, maybe a sickness or a disease or something that might take over our health. Um, so we, we shouldn't be denied or or it shouldn't be harder than it already is to face those things. Shouldn't have to worry about your medical bills. Pil- you know, you should be able to be covered in my mind. Excellent. What do you think about free community
0: college Kara?
1: I think it would encourage more students to go. I know, for example, myself, um, if I didn't receive student financial aid, I, I wouldn't have been able to come back. And I think that it would encourage a lot of a lot of kids. I think maybe some some kids don't even maybe try just because they think it's out of the question for their parents or for themselves, um, and it's not giving them a, a fair chance at being successful.
2: Jason, uh, I agree with that too. I think community college should be free. Um, I agree with Kara, like she said. For me, and personal, um, I started in the fall of 2020, and I got denied student aid and any type of help, so I wasn't able to come back until. 2021, where I was able to get financial aid to be able to finally attend Heartland. And I, if, if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would be here right now or have anything done with college because I know my parents don't have the money for it. I personally don't have the money out of pocket to pay that big tuition. So, yeah, I do agree that uh, college it should be free.
0: And it's obvious to me, Jason, that you are a very, very intelligent young man and definitely with an education going to make a big impact on uh, the American society. You mentioned, you mentioned voting as as, uh, immigrants come over and being, having the opportunity to vote. I want to ask you a question regarding voter suppression. Do you think that there's a relationship between voting and the criminal justice system, Jason?
2: I think there is. I think just in general, there's a lot of times where people think that their vote doesn't matter especially like with convicts and stuff like that, they get their votes taken away. Um, and like I said, with immigrants, we they don't get a vote. They, they don't get the say in the country, even though they're here paying taxes, <laughs> working, you know, working the land or anything like that. I think that there needs to be a change in the way we let people vote and the way that the voting system works. Awesome. Kira?
1: I agree. And even with criminals having their their right to vote stripped, Um, I think everybody makes mistakes and to to take someone's right away forever indefinitely is it it doesn't make sense because, again, everybody makes mistakes. And kind of like Jason said, they're here. So why wouldn't they have a stay or why wouldn't their vote count? It's almost like taking away um, their validity, almost like making them not valid or what they think is not valid. And I think that probably probably really wears on people.
0: Excellent. Both of you guys mentioned that your favorite constitutional right is the Fourth Amendment, which deals with search and seizure. Is there anything, beginning with you care, is there one thing that, and I think you may have mentioned earlier in the interview, de-escalation training or further training, whether it be dealing with conscious or unconscious bias or how to de-escalate things. Is there one thing that you would submit for police reform You know what you care?
1: I don't feel that police reforms in the past. I think history shows that they don't really work. Um, I think one way to eliminate it would be just to not have as much interaction between civilians and law enforcement, Um, which I know sounds like a long stretch. But I just think that, again, with that subcon, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think that it just it creates more room for confusion, confusion. And just like I said before, to the abuse of power, um, them doing something maybe just because they can, not because it's what they're taught or what is right. And I just think they're not trained as well as they could be.
2: OK, Jake, I believe that with policing now, I feel like there should be a little bit more funding going to. Um, police station and just the system as well to be able to get more training um, maybe de-escalation classes or them having to take like psychology cl- classes to be able to talk to people and I feel like 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 Kara said not having that many interactions with civilians I feel like that would kind of affect it more than it would help I feel like there should be more integration with police and the communities to let know that you know they're, they're not here to mess with us. They're not here to, you know, bother us. No, they're here to protect us and, you know, be protectors. I feel like that is something that should be done more and poor communities projects and stuff like that, where, you know, people will know that cops are not there to pick a fight or trying to incriminate you for everything. It shouldn't be like that. I feel like there should be, we should reestablish that um, relationship between the people and the, and the police force that they are here to protect and serve. They're not here to fight us or shoot us or anything like that. Awesome, Jason.
0: All right, last question. Do you think there should be no-knock warrants? Before you answer, I just want to mention or ask you to consider what happened to Amir Locke and Breonna Taylor. And that 70% of the no-knock warrants are executed on the black community, even though the black community only makes up only 15% of the country. Beginning with you, Jason. I feel
2: like no-knock warrants should not be legal in any type of way. Um, In my mind, I feel like that kind of goes against the constitutional right of ours. We should be able to feel safe in our house. The, The Amir Law case that happened recently, I mean, from the video that I was able to see, the man was just sleeping on a couch and they uh, broke in and he reacted by reaching for his gun that I'm pretty sure he had a license for. They said that he had. And I feel like that's something that any American that is armed would do. If someone comes in through your door and just breaks in, the first thought would be to defend yourself, defend your castle, like Kara said. I feel like that. I feel like non warrants are just unconstitutionally right and Go against privacy and everything because there has been many cases where they have gone in the house wrong or the wrong person, and sometimes they result in fatal shootings, like with Breonna Taylor, where you know she wasn't even the one they were going for, and she ended up being the one dead. Here?
1: Um, yeah, I think they're unlawful in my opinion. I think it leaves a lot of room for escalation and confusion, um, kind of like with the Breonna Taylor. She was wrong place, wrong time. And I just think that we don't, there's so many factors that go into that. Uh, no, not more. You know, I just think that there's so many different factors. It's just, it's too messy. And everybody should have a fair chance. And a, a, kind of like Jason was saying, should be able to feel like they can protect themselves in their own home. I think he did probably what anybody would do.
0: Awesome, Kara. You're a lady and a scholar. Jason, you're a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> You guys are awesome and on your way to great. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Heartland Community College students at the front end of their college careers, important constitutional rights, and emerging adult voices on how to make America great. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and God speed.